Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is It's All About Jesus by Sue Shearman. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are so good to us. You're a good, good Father and you're so faithful. We thank you for the privilege, Lord, of being able to meet freely together. And Holy Spirit, we know you're here because you are in us. And so I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do the work that only you can do in our hearts here this morning, that your word is life, and as your word goes out, you say that it will accomplish that which you send it. So my prayer this morning is, Lord, that we walk out this door different to when we walked in, having you done the work in our hearts, ministering to each one of us, because you know us so personally and you know what we need. We ask this in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, you know, you only have to look around um, the world at the moment and you could be so discouraged, you know, with the, the violence, the evil, to the point that it's just craziness at times, absolute craziness. And it's easy to think... Uh, that we are, or, you know, say that we are close to the return of Jesus. If you even bother to watch the news these days, there's no good news on there. Once before, you know, it used to be good stories and then a couple of bad ones in between, but it's the opposite now. And sometimes you think, well, surely it can't get any worse. We hear Christians saying, yep, you know, we're in the last days, Jesus must be returning soon. We can quote quote scriptures from the Bible, you know, that we're in the last days and Jesus must be returning and what it's like before Jesus returns. And um, don't worry, this is not an end time message. I'm not going to preach an end time message. Even the best Bible scholars can't agree on what's going to happen and how it's going to happen. So I'll, I'll leave that to ones that know a bit more about it than what I do. But we can't deny that we are seeing evil abound on the earth, that there are attacks on our children, on our teens, the violence, attacks on people's identity. It's absolutely crazy, some of the things you hear. And, um, you know, a lot of of the stuff I just dismiss because you don't know where the origin is, you don't know whether it's true or not, and you don't want to dwell on the evil, you don't want to dwell on the negative. But some things uh, that I've heard and some things that that we hear, um, you can't dismiss because you know the people. You're hearing it firsthand. And... uh, It's purely the work of the enemy. You know, it's true. I was listening to a young woman the other day and uh, she was telling, she was saying that um, she belonged to a DID system. I don't know whether any of you have heard of that, but uh, I looked it up. I didn't have a clue what it was. And it's a dissociative identity disorder. And what it is that they identify as something other than human. I mean, we might laugh, but these people believe this. You know, they are really believing this stuff. And she was saying that she belonged to 
a bird theron. She identified with a bir- as a bird theron, and she she was a bearded vulture theron. This was a young woman, and uh, and I thought to myself as I'm listening, I'm thinking to myself, this is not an identity disorder; it's an identity deception. You know, and our daughter down south, she was telling us of something that was going on in the schools, or a school in particular down there. And if we didn't know, you know, that it was coming from our daughter, you just would not believe it. It is absolute crazy stuff. You know, these people need to be told that they are created in the image of Almighty God. And they are fearfully and wonderfully made. That's their image. That's their identity. And in Romans, uh, I'll just read that. In Romans 10.14, it says, How can they call on the one they have not believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You know, we can't bury our head in the sand and say these things are not happening. Because they are. They're happening all around us. But we don't dwell on them. We know that we have the victory. We have the victory. And I believe that God is uh, putting his Um, zealousness into some of the Christians' hearts to stand and to speak against some of the evil that's happening with his wisdom, not our own, with his wisdom. And, you know, that's not easy sometimes because you do get persecuted if you speak out against these things. And, uh, you know, you get told that you're too negative or, you know, you've just got to uh, focus on the positive all the time. But these, th- I'll give you a story um, in the Bible where <clears throat> this guy's name was Phineas and Moses and the Israelites were at a place called Acacia Grove and uh, the Israelites were just committing harlotry and debauchery with, with the Moabite women. And... Um, And God's wrath was against them. And they started worshipping their gods and living like the world, living like the unsaved. And uh, God said to Moses, I want you to take the elders and hang them out in the public for all to see. And they did that. And then while Moses was at the tent of Tabernacle with the Israelites... And they were weeping over the evil that was going on. One of the Israelites brought a Moabite woman to another Israelite to take into his tent in front of, blatantly in front of Moses. And Phineas, who was Aaron's uh, grandson, grabbed his javelin and went into the tent, followed them into tent, into the tent and speared the javelin through both of them. Now, you know, you might think, well, that was a bit over the top. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's right. That was a bit over. But, but listen to what um, God said about what Phineas did. Phineas, the son of 
Uh, Then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Phinehas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the priest, has turned back my wrath from the children of Israel because he was zealous with my zeal among them so that I did not consume. God was going to consume the people of Israel, the children of Israel. I did not consume the children of uh, Israel in my zeal. Therefore, say, behold, I give to him my covenant of peace, and it shall be to him and his descendants after him a covenant of an everlasting priesthood, because he was zealous for his God and made atonement for the children of Israel. The reward for Phineas for being zealous for the things of God uh, and standing up against the evil was a covenant of peace for not only him but his family. You know, as long as there is the devil roaming around, there will be evil on the earth. But our God sits on the throne forever and ever. That will not change. We have the victory. But God will not tolerate evil forever. In 1991, uh, we got saved, Russ and I got saved, and um, even then we were hearing that it was the end times back then, you know, 30-odd years ago. And remember around, uh, what was it, 2000, when all the computers were supposed to turn over and the world was going to end and and all that stuff, you know, it was crazy. Um, You know, and we were hearing then that Jesus is going to return. Um, this is the end, and and uh, or any time really that that evil rose its ugly head, we would hear that Jesus is coming soon, and that was as I said over thirty years ago. But every day and every new morning is a day closer to His coming back for His bride. And the truth is that nobody knows when, nobody knows the day or the hour. In Thessalonians 5.2, it says, The day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Without warning, he will just turn up. He's coming at an hour we do not expect. And not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father knows the hour. Many have tried to guess or predict the hour, and we know the story of the Jehovah's Witnesses, that um, uh, Charles Taze Russell uh, predicted that he was, Jesus was coming in 1874. And uh, when he didn't come, he said, oh, well, he came physically, uh, invisibly, sorry. He came invisibly to set up his kingdom. And then he said, but he is coming in 1914. So visibly. And when he didn't come, again, it was he came invisibly again. And then they were to look to 1918 and then 1925. And in 1925, when they didn't come, the uh, Jehovah's Witness lost three quarters of their members. And um, it took them a while to wake up. But they said, oh, I know what... That didn't stop them. They said, well, we know what it is. They took that scripture that, um, you know, it was a generation. This generation will not pass away. So it must be in the 1940s that he's coming. So in 1945, they said, no, he's definitely coming. So they built a big mansion for Jesus because Jesus was bringing the prophets and that's where the prophets were going to stay, in the big mansion. Well, when he didn't come, the uh, president moved into the mansion. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
So then it was 1994 and in between they changed it again to 1975 and, and when it, uh, he d- didn't come in 1975 there was a mass exodus from the JWs and that's when they started their door-to-door knocking and built the church up and uh, now today millions are following following. But the Bible specifically tells us that no one knows when. But it also tells us to be awake, to be alert and to be ready for when he comes. And you know, we as Christians anticipate the return of Christ, don't we? We anticipate his return. But as we anticipate Christ's return, do you get more excited and eager to be ready for his return? Or the longer he tarries, have you become more complacent, just comfortable, living life, meeting the bare Christian essentials, just cruising, not really, you know, thinking that Jesus could return at any moment. But the Bible tells us he could, any moment. So hypothetically, if I said to you, uh, when you go home tonight, that when you go to bed and Jesus uh, appeared to you and said to you that he was coming, he was coming back this time next week to take you and you would be standing before Almighty God, what would you change in that week? Would we make sure that we dealt with the things in our lives that we have put before him? You know, living in the expectation that he could return today or any time soon compels us to live every day for what really matters for eternity. The longer he tarries, the easier we can fall into the trap of confessing that, yes, he's returning at any time, but not really believing it could be soon. So there's no urgency to be ready. We have plenty of time. You know, now I've heard it all before. They were saying it back then, you know, and it hasn't happened. We've heard it's the last days, the end times. But 1 Thessalonians says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do. You know, we can still be coming to church, reading our Bibles, doing godly work, and they're all good things. They're all the things that we should be doing. But we can have allowed the fire of God in our hearts to die down or in some cases become sadly just burning or glowing embers. And instead of being hot for God, we become lukewarm. And we know what God says about lukewarm, being lukewarm. Yeah, for those that don't, it's not a a nice analogy. But when we're lukewarm... We start to live as the world lives. And I'm not talking about like going out nightclubbing and getting drunk and whatever. But we start to feed our own desires instead of God's desires being our priority. We start to live for what pleases us. We want to stay in a comfortable place. And we all like being comfortable. Nobody likes to be uncomfortable. But we, we don't like the feathers being taken out of our nest. We can become complacent about dealing with the little foxes that we know that God has asked us to deal with in our lives. And we learn to live with them, even though we know we shouldn't. That's complacency. 
We start to love our comfort. We love our comfy nest. A big old chair, you know, that's comfortable. But the longer we sit, the harder it is to get out or to get up. His, his word warns us in many scriptures about complacency and not to be caught sleeping when he returns. Um, I'm just, there's something that interested me in Luke. I'll just read this to you. In Luke uh, 25, uh, but first he must suffer many things and be rejected by his generation. So 26, and as it was in the days of Noah... So it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, it was also in the days of Lot. They ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. But on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. He's talking about the Son of Man revealed. What I found interesting about this is that when we think of Sodom and Gomorrah, what do we think of? We think of the debauchery. We think of the evil that was going on, um, you know, the sexual immorality. When we think about the days before Noah, it was the same. You know, he couldn't find anybody that was righteous uh, except Noah and his family. And so I thought to myself... When, when the Lord was talking about those, you know, the last days or what, whatever in the days of, of um, the Son of Man, um, wouldn't you think that God would have, when he was talking about Sodom and Gomorrah, wouldn't, he, wouldn't you think that he would have mentioned that in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, uh, they were, you know, the sexual immorality was running wild, there was a debauchery and whatever, and the same with Noah. But no, what did God mention? He said, in the days of Noah... They were eating and drinking, marrying wives. There was, there's nothing wrong with those things. There's nothing wrong with eating and drinking. In the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they sold, they planted and they built. There's nothing wrong with that. What God was pointing out in the in these scriptures is that they were going about their lives as if nothing was going to happen. That's what God was calling out or or mentioning here he wasn't talking about all the sin and the debauchery and whatever he was talking about or or pointing out the complacency in these people and they weren't taking God's warning seriously they were complacent that means a lot to God and you know there's other scriptures that God constantly uses throughout the the Bible about complacency. And one of them we know very well is uh, Matthew 25, the foolish virgins. See, these virgins, they would have called themselves Christians. After all, they were going out to meet the bridegroom. They automatically assumed that they would be taking place at the wedding feast and sitting at the table with the others until they heard those tragic words, I do not know you. You know, as Christians, we live our lives on the truth that Jesus is real. He came and he died on the cross for our sins. He was raised to life and he is now preparing a place for us in heaven, for his children to be with him forever and ever. He is coming. 
He is coming back for us. And that should excite us. That should stir us up to abandon everything or anything that gets in the way of our focus being entirely on him. It should stir us up to want to give him extravagant worship. I'm going to read uh, also some scriptures out of Revelation uh, and I just want you to, as I read them, oh, does anyone know a good bookbinder? <laughs> Don't feel sorry for me. I have got a new one at home, but I just really like this one. Um, so as I read this, I want you to uh, just imagine the scene. I've lost my... Sorry. Look, isn't this terrible? <laughs> huh? Yeah, I use it, but I, I should just get it fixed, shouldn't I? I can't even find Revelation. <laughs> Did I? I don't know where it is. Oh, here we go. I've got it. Sorry. No, I've got it. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I know. So as I read this, I just want you to imagine the scene. If you need to close your eyes to imagine it, go ahead. But as I'm reading it, just, just think of the scene that's going on here. This is when John was taken up into heaven. And this is what he saw in the spirit. Revelation. Did I say I had it? Oh, dear Lord, help me. Here we go. I've got it. Yeah. Okay, got it. Immediately I was in the spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven. And one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and sardius stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones. And on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes. And they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunders, thunderings and voices and there were seven lamps of fire burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal. And in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The living creature was, the first living creature was a, uh, like a lion and the second living creature like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. And the four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes around and within. And they do not rest day or night saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures gave glory and honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Oops. Just imagine, could you imagine that scene? This is what's going on in heaven. 
John walks in and there's the throne with God sitting on the throne. There's the rainbow over the throne. And by the way, God created the rainbow and he owns the rainbow. And there was thunderings and there was voices and there were flashes of lightning. And there were the living and there was the 24 elders sitting around. And there were the creatures there with the wings and the eyes. And every time they, they rested, not day or night. Day and night, they worship the God, singing out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And every time they did that, the elders would fall onto the ground and throw their crowns at the feet of the throne. This is what's going on in heaven. This is a scene of worship in heaven. And every time that the creatures would sing out, holy, holy, and worship, and the elders would uh, fall down before a God. They'd cry out, you are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and are created. You know, we, we say, O Lord, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what's going on in heaven, day and night, night and day. You know, how did, how did the church, and I'm not talking, when I say church, I'm not talking about the rock, I'm talking about globally, the church, globally. How did the church get to a place where we made it about us? Where we made it more about pleasing the crowd than God? Where we felt we need to critique the service, the music and the preaching? You know, you hear, hear Christians get asked, or Christians do get asked, how was church today? You know, and you hear, oh, it was all right. You know, I didn't really like the music today or the, the, the worship today, and the preaching was okay, you know. I've actually heard in a worship service, I went to a worship service, oh, they sang too many songs. <laughs> church, see, it's not about us. It's about him and him alone. Can you imagine the apostles and, and, or Peter and the apostles, you know, walking out of the synagogue saying, Oh, I didn't really like worship today, you know? Or who was that guy, the second guy preaching? I didn't like him much. You know, they didn't go to church, they were the church. And the church went with them wherever they went. We are the church. We are the church. We bring the Holy Spirit with us. We bring worship with us. We pray that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And we just heard what's happening in heaven. That's what's going on in heaven. We don't come here to church. We bring church to this building And when we come together, we come and we join with the angels and the elders and those that are in heaven singing holy, holy, holy to the Lord God Almighty. It's not about us. It's not about how good or bad we thought the church, we thought church was today. It's not about trying to please a crowd or complaining about what we didn't like about the service. 
It's about him. It's all about him. You know, next time, next time you feel a bit intimidated about raising your hands or singing to the Lord, and I'm not saying that, you know, everybody has to do that. But if you feel intimidated about doing that and thinking that people might think that you're over the top or a bit excessive, think about the scene that's going on in heaven. Think about that because that's worship. That's worship in heaven and it's going on all the time. You know, I'm not talking about, you know, swinging from the chandeliers and carrying on like a maniac. But I'm talking about surrendering everything we have and everything we are to him, and adding to the worship in heaven. You know, can I tell you, if you don't like worship, you better get used to it here on earth because we're going to be doing a lot of it in heaven. Church, our Saviour is coming back for us when we least expect. Are you ready? What do you need to change in your life to be ready? What do you need to give up? or lay down, to take up, to be ready. You know, if we knew for sure that Jesus was coming back tomorrow, we would deal with these things in a heartbeat, wouldn't we? Don't put it off. Don't put it off any longer. And be ready for his return. I've asked um, Karen to sing a song uh, for us to end with. Um, and I'll just finish in prayer. And Have I finished too early? What time is it? No, quarter to 11. And um, is that all right? Um, so I'm just going to pray uh, and finish off in prayer and then Karen, ask Karen to sing, um, play this song for us, which is so appropriate. And um, if you... If the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you in any way and, and you need prayer for anything, um, feel free, as Karen plays, to come out and we'll stand with you in prayer. So I'm just going to finish off now. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are the King of kings and Lord of lords, that you have overcome the world. The victory is ours, Lord, because of you. And we thank you that your name is above every other name. Father, we don't want to be complacent. Lord, if there's anything in our lives that is keeping us from being all that you want us to do and be, Lord, help us to lay it down, take it up, whatever it is. Lord, we lay it at the feet of Jesus at the cross. And Father, we ask to make us ready. Whatever that involves in our lives, may we be like the virgins that had their lamps full, not the ones, Lord, that heard the words, I do not know you. Father, we thank you. We give you all the praise and glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website at therock.org.au. You can also connect with us on Facebook 
at The Rock Christian Church. We hope you have been blessed today and we look forward to you joining us for our next episode.